Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. This episode, we shall be talking about the greatest pyramid scheme of all times. And I'm not even kidding here. Originally, I had a very depressing episode about more wars and more interviews with um, people, but um, that gave me nightmares, so to speak. But that is coming out, same with Latvian engineers, but I want to do everything correctly there. And translating a lot of technical stuff is a bit strange, but because of how everything worked out in my research, I discovered that I really haven't spoken to you about the one true guy that showed Nigerian prince scammers how true Soviet scams are made. And not only that, he managed to scam countries. Truly, Sergei Pavlovich Mavrodi is the leader of the MMM group, and wow, yeah, I know that true crime shows are becoming popular, because for some reason last episode was also one of my most downloaded ever, because, well, apparently you guys in the States or something like to Google up Soviet prisons or whatnot. But this is a different story, and I got into that to make you understand how I got here by just looking up at the current leaders of Ukrainian separatist republics. And I mentioned this uh, some episodes ago, that the Lugansk People's Republic, one of the two separatist ones, the other one being Donbas, and that's kind of more famous, so a lot of people just say Donbas in general when, you know, there's two of them. But this Lugansk Republic in Donbas district, it's run by Dmitry Pushilin. It's an interesting guy who, well, he managed to step up in his position after the previous guy, Sergei Zakharchenko, which we dedicated the whole episode to, managed to, well, get killed by an explosion. That was a few years ago. And where Mr. Zakharchenko, yeah, he used to be um, a chicken salesman, like poultry and stuff. Then Pushilin got tied into something else. He was basically the right-hand man of the political wing of the party of this MMM corporation. Yes, it's MMM, and it's because of all the Mavrodi's names, but... Um, just to show you the perspective of what horror really we got into, think about the fact that a pyramid scheme managed to grow to such an extent that it became a political party, won some elections where the leader of this pyramid scheme, who called it openly a pyramid scheme, managed to become a deputy and managed to become an MP. Then he failed everything only because he didn't appear of his job and he made the craziest absolute worst scam ever humanly imaginable in the whole area of the ex-Soviet Union and all the other satellite countries. And I'm pretty sure that 
a lot of people who listen to me from Africa know this guy. If you live in India, you definitely know this guy. If you're even in the Balkans or whatever, or anywhere else in kind of southeastern Europe, yeah, you have probably know some people who've tried to become partners of this MMM stuff as well. But this story is kind of interesting, and it's a weird combination of mad 90s and what else? Freaky, absolutely disgusting, insane scams. But hey, it's... Uh, one, I don't have to do a voiceover, and two, I'm not going to drag you into massive amounts of depression. I'm going to do both of those things a bit later as well. Just not now, since, well, in this dread-awful heat, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll be able to teach you something about financial responsibility and how people over here in these parts, by large margin, truly, completely did not understand how capitalism even works. Well, let's get on to it then. This episode might might cause some of you people from the Western countries where you're probably more used to various random little scams and whatnot and are just, in general, more entrepreneurial, might cause you some headaches, though. So, hey, be careful and, um, yeah, don't fall for whatever crap that we're going to be talking about in this show. Because the scale, oh boy. The scale is just too insane. Let's quote from the legend himself. <clears throat> it was impossible to count the money. We estimated it by eye, by the roomful. Sergei Mavrodi, the founder of MMM, recalled in 1994, talking of the scale of his company's operations. The Ponzi scheme operated for just a few years, but in that time it acquired 15 million investors across the whole country, that being Russia. MMM shares and coupons were circulated as a parallel currency to the ruble and foreign currencies. They were exchanged for food and clothes. And even after the courts declared him to be a fraud, investors, so to speak, were ready to install him in the Kremlin and participate in the referendum that he even tried to organize. In fact, like I said, he was even elected a deputy of parliament while he was in prison. Yes, that happened while he was in a Russian prison, about which you know from the last episode, which is why this is kind of fitting, because now you can understand what real muziki can do, you see. And Sergei Mavrodi himself is an interesting figure. You see, in Soviet times, he was a kind of a dark horse person. Very few people knew who he was or where he had come from. Prior to setting up his massive pyramid scheme, Mavrodi, who was a software engineer by training, used to sell pirated audio cassettes, imported office equipment, he allegedly imported the first personal computers from the West into the USSR, collected butterflies, and bred aquarium fish. Forbes once described him as, quote, a little Soviet man at the very bottom of the social ladder with his odd jobs, but one who possessed bold dreams and had illegal alternative occupations that allowed him to live better than most of his fellow citizens. And, well, in his baggy tracksuit bottoms, horn-rimmed spectacles, and scruffy polo shirt, Mavrodi looked more like a school physical education teacher who had come out of his apartment to take the trash out than a financial bigwig. On the other hand, this basically was his key to success in getting people to open their wallets, because although he was massively sociopathic, he also always presented himself as a man of the people. You see... In the 90s, obviously you had to have some <clears throat> protection from some sort of a criminal investigation by the government or someplace else. 
and Navrati appealed to be the man of the people. He didn't get into strange dealings with organized crime. He was basically largest organized crime itself, except, well, not doing murders and stuff, just paying off everyone who even looked at him wrong. But he also didn't go to various lengths to kind of hide his criminal thing. He just tricked everyone, basically. And he appealed to the people, always wanting to look like of the common folk. Now, the thing is that, although this isn't documented, one of the other things that he had done before was speculating on those vouchers of privatization. See, after the USSR collapsed, everyone in their own countries, including Latvia or Lithuania or, or Russia or Ukraine, yeah, we were all given these privatization certificates. Like, after the French Revolution, you know, the government just calculated the total value of land and all the properties that had been nationalized during the Soviet era and spread them out, mostly even amounts to all the people around. Except no one knew how they operated, really, so you could make a lot of money from basically just picking up those things from starving people for like 10% of their face value and then invest them. Because, you know, at that time people didn't know that in various regions the prices were different and, well, if you were living in the Far East, then one of these vouchers originally could get you about seven shares of Gazprom, which at this point could um, make you about 8,000% profit, really. It was a good investment, but Mavrodi was um, more of a keen-eyed little con man, and he just bought them up, and that's one of the ways how, by investing smart, he really managed to start his own weird little computer and piracy business. The MMM Cooperative, which later became a giant Ponzi scheme, was set up in Moscow in 1989. The name of the company was taken from the first letters of the three founders' surnames, Sergei Mavrodi, his brother Vlacheslav Mavrodi, and Olga Milnikova, his brother's first wife. However, Vyacheslav and Olga were only nominal figures needed for registering the company, Sergei claimed. Well, that didn't turn out as well later on. Initially, this MMM cooperative had nothing to do with finance, but it quickly became very popular. Imported tech equipment sold like hotcakes at the time. Everyone could get insanely rich. His business was doing so well that in 1991, as part of a PR stunt, Mavrodi offered Muscovites free one-day metro travel. And two days later, he made a New Year's Eve television address to the people of Russia. Something that is always done by the country's president. And even though a lot of people don't really care about these New Year's speeches, because, well, nobody kind of takes them seriously at that point, back then it was a big deal. And also one day's free metro for everyone. Yeah, he did that a couple of times. And if you think about it, that's an insane amount of money. He was making money hand over fist and was considered to be, if not the, then definitely in the top five of the richest people in Russia at the time. And you can still look at his New Year's speeches in YouTube, and you can look up his ads, and he looks kind of weird in them. But to think that someone could just buy a spot in the national television as a businessman, who's basically a con man anyways, yeah, that couldn't happen now, but... That's why they're called the crazy 90s here. So, later on, when Mavrodi issued joint stock company MMM shares for sale for the first time on February the 1st, 1994, people knew him well, or at least they thought they did. One share at that time cost 1,000 rubles, 
which was equal to around 65 cents back then. Well, right now, one dollar is about 65 rubles, so it's, they, they did their denomination thing, and it's a bit better, but yeah, for 65 cents, you could buy a one share there. And it was a lot of money, too, because, well, inflation was ridiculous. For example, from 1992 to 1993, uh, Russia experienced about 1,200% inflation, and the following year it was about 800%, so they did have to cut off the zeros, and, well, if you remember correctly, in 1998, Russia defaulted. And everyone here in these parts were truly experiencing financial difficulties, so people were truly looking for some sort of way how to, you know, save their savings a bit, and no one knew how investing operated. And Mavrodi truly abused the system. He abused his knowledge of the markets, he abused how people trusted him, as he was famous and viewed as the hero of the people, and he truly didn't care. And these buy and sell prices for the shares were steadily increased, according to the principle, today is always more expensive than yesterday. Because there weren't really shares as you would expect in a stock market. Now, Mavrodi personally set the quoted prices, which were actually just arbitrary figures that didn't correlate to anything. He basically claimed those were shares. Meanwhile, he just basically set their own prices himself by starting out everything here. For a very short time, it worked. There are no problems at MMM, was his advertising slogan. The company promised shareholders it would buy back their shares immediately upon request. Payments to participants in the Ponzi scheme were made using the money of new investors. Guess where this is going? By July 1994, the share price had reached 125,000 rubles, or $81 per share. Actor Lyonya Golubkov, real name Vladimir Pirmyakov, who was the face of the MMM advertising campaign, explained that, quote, Mavrodi gave people hope. It was like a ray of light to them. At that time, we had lived in poverty, and suddenly, opportunity beckoned. But the thing is that, legally, you know, they were still counted as shares, so he had to figure out some other way how to sell them. At the beginning, you know, the shares just ran out because everyone was just purchasing them because he promised ridiculous return prices and everyone just keep purchasing them. But then, you know, there's only so many shares that you can release for a company, especially at that time, legally. So he started another company, which is MMM Invest Group, but shares run out of that, like the legal allowed shares, run out of that in about a week or so. So then Navrodi not to get into business of opening various companies and just transferring the money, and that would be kind of hard and he could get caught, he devised an interesting way, because, you know, these shares were arbitrarily set by himself as well, and he promised crazy investment returns. Mavrodi basically started printing out his own money. I'm not even kidding here. Mavrodi started printing out his own money. It had his face on it, it looked like rubles, they were called billete, or vouchers, or tickets, and, um, and yeah, those things, by the standpoint of the law, didn't really count as anything legal, and they weren't even technically sold. See, what he did there, and he had a lot of knowledge about the minutia of various law issues here, what he did was that technically, when you arrived to one of his offices, of which he had many, around 350 across all over Russia, and at that time I remember some being over here in Latvia, but we had our own scammers like that, and a lot of them were in Ukraine at that point, he just operated in the ex-Soviet Union. What you did was, you went in there, 
then you asked the person at the counter to <clears throat> donate you some of the Mavrodiki, or Mavrodis, because literally it was his own money. It was actually printed at that point in Russia, in the same press where they released actual rubles, because again, those people who were printing rubles, they were also sitting without work, and Mavrodi just could easily afford to print his own cash, basically. And that money was used everywhere. And the trick was that you went in there, you asked for those tickets, and then you had to sign a deal where you voluntarily donate rubles, an equivalent to these Mavrodiki. By the way, a hundred Mavrodis were valued at the cost of one share. So at the beginning, uh, you could buy hundred Mavrodis for $20 or something. And he actually kind of returned them for a bit. But yeah, you asked the company to give you Mavrodis, then you voluntarily donated them. And according to, like, without return, out of your free will, you donated money to the MMM company. As a legally binding document, you just donate them the money, and they just, you know, give you these Mavrodi vouchers as a return, as a souvenir. Legally, they hold no value whatsoever. But it again shows that, you know, Bitcoin holds value because people think it holds value. So for a while, Mavrodis held value because, again, people believed in them. And, you know... If you wanted to cash out in rubles or in dollars, then you would go back to the office and do the operation in reverse. You would basically ask, hey, I have this many tickets, could you please donate me some money? So then, the person at the counter would sign you again a deal, where the MMM now would just give you, gift you money, and you would just, you know, give them back the tickets as a nice little souvenir. In that way, nothing was really sold or bought, and technically it wasn't even commercially viable or anything. This was all done so that this wouldn't count as a commercial business thing, which will become important later. Because according to law, there were no actual laws about how these schemes could work. And in Russia, the first laws even regulating such high-yield investment schemes, which are always scams... Yeah, only laws regulating that were actually adopted by Gosduma when they actually got some competency done in about 2016 or so. Hello there. Thank you for tuning in into another episode of The Eastern Border. We are so happy to announce that this episode is brought to you by our friends at Rusansov.com. If you're looking to buy new art, don't forget to use the code EASTERNBORDER for a discount on us. Remember, head over to Rusansov.com and happy shopping! If, however, you want to support our show directly, head over to patreon.com or our website, theeasternborder.lv, to find out how you can help out. For all things Eastern Border, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Discord. And, as always, thank you so much for supporting us. We really appreciate each and every one of you. That's all from me now. See you online. This podcast... Brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Meanwhile, friction with the authorities also very quickly started to take hold. Partially because it was, frankly, a massive pyramid scheme and totally illegal, and when I say massive... I mean, ridiculously huge. And secondly, because, for the most part, a lot of the people who were politicians at the time just wanted their own share. Mavrodi himself claimed that his company accounted for almost a third of the national budget. He justified his actions not in terms of a desire to enrich himself, but a desire to, quote, intervene in what is the plunder of the country, end quote. He stated that he wanted to use the money collected from the population to redeem state property put up for sale so that it ended up in the hands of the people and not the oligarchs. He used to say, quote, People become economic slaves to the oligarchs, and then they are dumped on the rubbish heap with a pension of $100. And, uh, yeah, this was kind of crazy. See, because of his scheming and how he worked, Mavrodi couldn't be brought to justice immediately. It's kind of weird, since, well, like I explained to you, he did everything just perfectly at that point. However, well, the problem is that, obviously, yeah, if there's a person, they'll find a criminal charge for him. And, well, in a move similar to anything you've probably heard on gangster movies, the first accusations were made in August 1994, and, of course, he was accused not of fraud, but of tax evasion. The founder of MMM sneered later, stating that, quote, what taxes? If the authorities claim that it is a pyramid scheme, does it mean that I didn't give them their share? Are they out of their minds? But Mavrodi wasn't done with his tricks, though. See, he was arrested. But while in custody and under investigation, Mavrodi managed to register as a candidate for deputy of the lower house of the parliament and to get successfully elected. Investors in the Ponzi scheme wanted to get their money back and actively voted for him. By the way, at the time when he got elected and arrested at the first place, by the time he got elected, he truly was becoming a national hero and he promised everyone his money back. And he also used this, this whole scheme of getting elected to basically wash his hands clean. When he got arrested, there was a huge uh, crowd of people holding posters and stating, Hands off of our Mavrodi! MMM is saving Russia! Evil oligarchs trying to destroy our good income and property! Mavrodi is the savior of the people! You know, stuff like that. And again, he could blame the fact that no longer he could pay out money to everyone by the fact that um, evil governmental officials have now swindled him because government is run by corrupt oligarchs, so you know... He's not taking part of anything bad, and everything's ruined by the evil governmental people. So, yeah, like I said, he got parliamentary immunity, and went into parliament straight from his prison cell. But, that was interesting. See, this is where the guy made, um, made his one fatal mistake. 
Mavrodi just chose not to turn up for any parliamentary sessions whatsoever. Although he was super happy about it, and he had immunity, and he had thought that he could run this whole gamut for about four years more, the trick was that everyone hated him in the parliament, and he had arrived there just once, maybe. And he didn't really know how to work with people because of his utter sociopathic nature. The trick here was that a lot of people decided that, hey, this trick of him not doing any business activities, yeah, that won't run here. And when one of his colleagues in the parliament kind of noticed that, you know, he's not in session once again, literally everyone in the parliament at the time, completely without opposition, by the way, like everyone, voted to strip Mavrodi of his, well, mandate, just a year later after he got elected. Now, if Mavrodi had actually tried a bit harder and understood that, you know, maybe he should kind of go there and work with his fellow deputies and, and stuff, maybe then he would be a bit more successful. However, you know, you decide if that would be a good thing. But eventually, these people start making mistakes. But um, this is nowhere near the end of Mavrodi. See, he disappeared then. The investigation into MMM resumed, and Mavrodi was put on the international wanted list. The trick was that after he got arrested, he managed to um, claim bad health and go into the hospital, out of which he just escaped from, with a medical apparatus strapped to him costing about 70,000 rubles. The thing was later returned by his lawyer, but it was still a bit weird. However, due to the fact that it was Russia, and at that point he also had started doing things but elsewhere, yeah, Interpol really couldn't get to him, really. He was only detained in January 2003 in a rented apartment in Moscow, where he had been hiding. Throughout this time, his security detail had brought him food and clothes, while, by the way, he himself, using a false name, was registering something that you might know from early 2000s if you live in the United States or in the Caribbean or someplace else, and, well, at least you might know someone who did this. He started something called Stock Generation, a virtual stock exchange in a Caribbean country, which apparently was a, according to my sources, quite a popular scam in the Western world. The trick was that it was, again, one of these very fake online stock exchanges. However, he did a kind of interesting thing as he registered that as a gambling organization. Basically, a virtual casino that kind of portrays itself as a stock exchange. He never really stopped doing these schemes. So, you know, this is how he ensured that um, people really couldn't sue him. After that, Mavrodi was sentenced to four years and six months, but he was almost immediately released, because by that time, he has already served his term while in pre-trial custody. By the way, two years later, Swinder Bernie Madaf was sentenced to 150 years in prison for organizing a similar Ponzi scheme in the United States. But like I said, at this point, really, we didn't have any laws about this. Now, he also had a lot of civil suits placed on him because a lot of people lost everything they had and they lost a ton of money. But you see, they went to court and as part of the evidence, they showed these, you know, tickets, this Mavrodi currency that they had purchased. But the problem is, it had no jurisdictional whatever power, and they didn't even have names on them. You know, they were just basically fake money, monopoly money, that had value because people thought of it, and it didn't mean anything in front of the law. But the courts weren't kind of stupid at first, and they actually took in some requests from civil suits aimed at Mavrodi so that people would get their money back, because, again, no one knows where all the money went. Because he didn't like to live a posh lifestyle, he was careful like that. 
But we know that he still had pocketed a lot of the money, obviously, because another interesting thing that he did to get rid of all these suits, which used these little papers as evidence, because Russian courts were looking at this, they wanted to dump Mavrodi into the pit forever. But Mavrodi outsmarted these people. See, he had a lot of those fake monopoly money things. He literally drove around Moscow dumping tons of these little papers on the street, and as they had no name to them, and there was no deal about these very specific papers with the people, that meant that literally anyone could pick them up from the street or anywhere else, they were just dumped all over the place, and just take them to the court, and, you know, fake one of these I lost money in this pyramid scheme cases. So, basically, you kind of forced the courts to no longer accept them as evidence, and dump people who had been giving them previously out. Yeah, Mavrodi managed to kind of make sure that no investors actually got anything back, all the while he pretended to be nice and clean, because evil, evil people. But this was nowhere near, nowhere near the end of all of this. He came back in 2011, in 2012. But we'll get to that, because the key of this whole issue is that the investor's money was never really found. Most likely, Mavrodi took it out through his offshore subsidiaries. After the trial, like I said, he continued to be involved in financial pyramid schemes, although they never got as big as this first one. He mostly focused on exporting them abroad. He opened similar schemes in South Africa and Latin America. In early 2017, the website of the local MMM scheme in Nigeria became more popular than Facebook. And I'd like to quote a quart Z Africa, African Times News, from 2018, April the 3rd. Quote, In most Nigerian cultures, the news of the death of a person, important or otherwise, usually sparks collective sorrow, sober reflection, and then, depending on the age and social class of the individual, lavish and colorful celebrations of their life and achievements. But right now, Nigerians are conflicted about the news of the death of Sergei Mavrodi, a convicted Russian fraudster who died of a heart attack, aged 63, in a Moscow hospital on March 25th. A lot of people are cheering his death which is because Mavrodi is best known as the founder of the infamous Mavrodi Mandial Money Box Ponzi scheme. It took him less than a year to become a key influencer in Nigeria's vast informal economy through MMM, and his death has left many locals uncertain how to feel about his impact on Africa's largest country by population. When we typed Mavrodi into Google this week, all the top news links on his death were from Nigerian newspapers. This fall dates back to November 2015, when MMM launched a website in Nigeria, describing itself as a mutual aid fund where ordinary people help each other. It guaranteed returns of a whopping 30% per month on payments, and for a while it worked, so word spread quickly. Between February and July 2016, the number of people signed up to the Ponzi scheme grew from a few hundred thousand to over two million people. At the 2017, it was more than 3 million people. Despite the central bank repeatedly warning Nigerians against committing funds to the scheme and the Economic and Financial Crimes Commission launching an investigation into the scheme's operations, Nigerians continued to join the platform in droves. That's just an example. He proudly is hated everywhere. Also, in 2011, Mavrodi even wrote to Julian Assange with a proposal to join forces, quote, in the fight against the hypocritical global financial clique. Now, this is interesting. And this is where it also gets a bit sad, because you see, more than 50 people died under the MMM's financial wreckage. A lot of people took their own lives when they realized that they would get nothing back. But Mavrodi, as usual, was unperturbed. 
Quote, I was told they were deceived and didn't know what they were doing, but they were grown up and mentally fit people, was his response. But yeah, Mavrodi basically, just like I told you, died of a heart attack at the age of 62 in March 2018 after running through his schemes multiple times. In 2011, he truly tried to recreate everything and the schemes got crazier, they were restarted. He truly again wanted to go into politics and like I said, he started political parties, they, didn't, they failed in Russia, however in Ukraine, they actually managed to get elected. And now Pashilyan, the guy who was his right-hand man, well, yeah, that was a bit crazy. He really now is the leader of Lugansk People's Republic. And even though Mavrodi had spoken in television and everywhere and just argumented, he just didn't care about anything. Everything was just crazy. And again, a lot of people died because of all this matter. For one, one of the people that actually really, really suffered from, from all of this was his fellow kind of schemers, because it all worked in a matter of sect, cult principle, really, since one of these things that really happened was that he had a friend called Kim, by surname, I couldn't find his name, but um, the trick was his friends who were at the top levels of all this situation, they organized various protests and everything against the evil government, because he, up until the end of his days, continued to blame the government for the fact that everything's failing and whatnot. But in one case, well, an MMA fighter in Russia walked randomly and saw the guy, Mavrodi's right-hand economical man in Russia, this Kim fellow on the street in one of these protest actions, and he had lost about 2.5 million rubles to this whole thing, so he literally beat up the guy to death. To be honest, he got a um, suspended term for this. Classified as manslaughter. And temporary insanity. Because like I said, you know, as much as corruption is a common thing in the post-Soviet sphere, yeah, this, this whole scheme went way too far. At least Mavrodi died at the end. And it was kind of weird. One of the weirdest scams he pulled off in his massive talented actions of kind of advertisement and everything he did was that he even, because later schemes in 2011 in Russia at least, they were even more fanciful than the previous ones, but they really never reached the peak of the popularity. However, for example, he proposed that um, people who've invested literally repaint their cars advertising the scheme, and for that he would increase the investment on their money, which is just crazy. Also, second time when he did this in 2011 in Russia, he also just openly stated that, I don't know how this works, but this will totally work. Trust me, you guys, it was all the evil government. And people bought it. He never even hid it was a pyramid scheme. And even though basic maths just show that you can't do this Ponzi stuff constantly, he never truly stopped caring. And he became a source of massive amounts of memes in these parts. Now, finally, though, finally, though, he met his end. One of Mavrodi's former employers stated, quote, Do you know that no one among his relatives wanted to take his body and bury it after his death? His own brother refused to bury Mavrodi next to their parents. In the end, it was his ex-wife, using the money of former MMM investors, who decided to pay for his funeral, only because, you know, they were the closest relatives, and they were kind of forced to do it. Still, this man, even though dead, still had 
a ton of his own believers and everything in this whole system. Some people around there still think he was the true savior of Russia. And again, the sheer volume of this whole stuff. It was immense and unthinkable. Mavrodi wrote a book after his adventures in prison where he obviously blamed, blamed everything. He filmed his own movie portraying him as the good hero, savior of Russia and the Soviet sphere, where his whole plan and jailing was a cause by evil Russian oligarchs. He showed it for free. He stuffed it in if you got his own like future tickets as well. He never stopped conning people. And, well, a lot of psychiatrists who look at how the minds of the people in various cults work, yeah, he managed to basically click on almost every possible level as a toxic, evil cult leader. So, whenever you hear about Nigerian princes, know that, well, even though this man was an absolute dirtbag, sleazy con man, and an evil man through and through, he did manage to actually scam the Nigerian scammers themselves. Because, you know, those who seek easy money are usually, you know, caught in the mousetrap after all. And that's it for today. Next time we'll be dealing with some very depressing stories of war people, people who've gone to war a lot. That stuff actually woke me up at 4am and gave me nightmares. And I want to get done with the Life Engineers show because, well, we got a lot of interviews there and uh, lots of material, lots of reading, lots of translating and lots of understanding what I'm talking about there. Because at least I know what the shows are going to be about. But we'll make this happen. Uh, yeah, this whole summer is a bit hard for me and kind of hard to process everything and, and make everything work again. But I, I'm pretty sure I'll deal with everything that's that's coming up lately. Oh, yeah, and another thing. If you listen so far, I wanted to greet all the people who came here from uh, the Black Pants Legion. Hey, guys, I'm very happy that uh, I've joined in. Praise Zorg. Just a final little shout-out. If you know what I'm talking about, more power to you. And, uh, yeah, we'll be, we'll be doing a bit of work. I'm sure that we'll manage to put out episodes normally, although 23rd and 24th are the biggest celebration in Latvia, and Anate is in a bit of vacation, so don't know how that, that all is going to work out. But, well, a lot of work on my hands, both episodes and dealing with website stuff, and just in general, uh, trying to organize around life a bit. But it's going to be fine, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. At any rate, до свидания, товарищи. And, well, please continue to listen to us next time. Oh, and uh, if you want to become our patron, please do. We also accept PayPal donations. They will help a lot, because it's summer, and we're in a bit of a mess here. And I really don't know how to properly monetize the show. What was funny, though, is the fact that, apparently, if you listen to this show in Canada, then Lockheed Martin advertised on this, this whole thing. Which was a bit funny. But sadly, <clears throat> I didn't get a lot of money out of that, about 50 euros. Which is still kind of nice. Anyway, see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv. And we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland.
the eastern border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Give them a gift they'll never forget because they'll still have it years later. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age. Like their iconic full zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades because a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. So be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code GRATEFULAG23.